Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Making Monsters with Taylor Dahl. It's like beer and brats. A perfect combination. You know the deal. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Making Monsters. I'm Taylor Dahl, and we are continuing on uh, this quarterback if the Bears select a quarterback series, I'm kind of calling it. Uh, we've talked about Drake May. We've talked about Caleb Williams. We've talked about Jaden Daniels. We've talked about Michael Penix. And now we are moving on to J.J. McCarthy. Obviously, J.J. McCarthy, a national champion right now. And Michigan has a ton of talent on that team, which we'll get to some of the other guys, too. But I really want to dive into McCarthy because uh, some recent interviews have come out, some recent comments about some dra- uh, from draft scouts and all of these type of guys who have now kind Kind of started high, getting J.J. McCarthy higher on their big boards, higher on how they they feel when they're watching this film of him, and um, and then there's recent rumors too that the Bears could possibly even keep Justin Fields and maybe get a, a quarterback a little later uh, than what they are expected with that number one. So there there's a ton of options. The Bears have been very clear; they have not made a choice yet on what they are doing with Justin Fields. So uh, these are very important times right now in Chicago, and I want to bring in Isaiah Hole. He's a he works for. Wolverines Wire covering Michigan football for USA Today. So Isaiah, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Of course, my pleasure. Let's get right into this. Uh, So tell us a little bit about the start of J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Obviously, his freshman year, um, he, he appeared in 11 games that season, 34 for 59, 516 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, he added some rushing yards into there, too. But uh, obviously, Cade McNamara was the starting quarterback that season. So you just saw bits of McCarthy. But what were your thoughts uh, initially when you were evaluating him that year and what he could possibly be moving forward there at Michigan? Well, you saw that he was a five-star quarterback right out the gates. I mean, his first ever pass in uh, in a winged helmet was on the run, evading pressure, and then throwing a deep shot across his body, which is something you don't normally uh, want to see from any quarterback, let alone a guy making his first ever collegiate pass, mm-hmm. uh, to hit a receiver in stride for a long touchdown. I mean, that... In in Ann Arbor, they always say that fans aren't happy unless they're unhappy. And generally, the most popular person on campus is the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. That was true until JJ McCarthy got obviously got his starting job. But certainly, he was the he was the most popular fan on campus the moment he made that throw mm-hmm. as the backup quarterback. So they needed to they figured that the best route for them was to work McCarthy in. Uh, as early and often as possible. So at that time, like that first play came in garbage time. But from then on in, you started to see him come in in more uh, when the game was still on the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Granted, at at that first year, for the most part, he wasn't really throwing the ball until the game was put away. Mostly was coming in as a uh, run threat. 
but uh, you could see right away his talent and his athleticism, uh, some certain things like that, that touch on the deep ball, which ironically we didn't see much from him after uh, the first, uh, the, that first year and maybe mm-hmm. the first couple of games of uh, 2022. But uh, things that we hadn't really seen from a Michigan quarterback, the ability to really sling it and do so with touch. So uh, he really showed that off pretty, pretty quickly. And you could tell he had all the physical tools that you needed and it, it had the ability to uh, not necessarily read a defense, but be able to distinguish what's a good throw, what's a bad throw, uh, and use his athleticism to get him out of maybe some sticky situations. And that was just all in year one. And then on top of it, in the Big Ten championship game, uh, you saw him show that he had a willingness to put his body on the line. At one of the earlier plays in the game, uh, Blake Corum uh, took, the, took the handoff and then hit a hole and the the person who went downfield about 40 yards downfield to to make the the big block that sprung him for uh, the ultimate touchdown against Iowa in that game was mm-hmm. JJ McCarthy. Yeah. So his his hockey background certainly kind of came to play with some of that physical physicality. And certainly we didn't necessarily see quite as much of the the deep uh, the deep balls or the running or uh, the blocks and all of that stuff as he became the starter. But you could see. Uh, a lot of his mentality and his ability right from the get-go in year one. Now, why do you think we didn't see as much as that deep ball? Was it just maybe the positions he was in that 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 first season to see what he was capable of, and then they kind of figured that out and wanted to maybe dial it down a little bit, manage it to more comfortable throws for him? Well, in year two, for the most part, like the first couple games, really the first two games, we saw him hit big on a couple deep balls to Roman Wilson. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, defenses basically said, we are not going to let J.J. McCarthy beat us with his arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to let him uh, throw downfield like that because suddenly Michigan had that capability when it pretty much never did. Mm-hmm. So then Michigan said, okay, we'll just run the ball on everybody uh, and we'll, we'll take what's open and, we'll, and usually that was kind of the intermediate throw. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's offense was a little bit more of a West Coast style, so generally – they aren't looking to, to make those big deep bombs all the time anyway. But when they started hitting on them early, teams for the most part took them away. And then they kind of got out of rhythm. So when they started trying to find the deep ball kind of later in the year, uh, like against Rutgers and some other teams that were mm-hmm. kind of halfway uh, through the year in 2022, uh, there just wasn't a rhythm there. So they kind of kept going with the more intermediate pass until the Ohio State game later in that year. But you saw it in that game uh, return. You saw it when Michigan really needed the deep ball mm-hmm. uh, for it to return in the in the TCU game that they lost in the college football playoff semifinal. Uh, but for the most part, the the mantra of the offense started to be, we're going to take whatever you give us. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you saw happen in 2023 in particular, because the deep ball generally wasn't there and the run game wasn't necessarily there in the first half of the year. And it, it required McCarthy to adjust and play a lot more of an intermediate game that became his bread and butter in his Michigan yeah. career. Which honestly, I, I think is 
is a good thing and an underrated ability a lot of times that we see in some of these quarterbacks because uh, I've talked to a lot of quarterback guys and they all say, you know, like the, the deep pass is it's if you have the arm, obviously the arm talent, it's pretty easy. But a lot of times the more difficult passes are those intermediate ones because you're weaving it in between corners and safeties and linebackers. And there's a, a lot more. Um, a lot of better placement sometimes you have to have in those mid-range, which we see that, that Justin Fields, a lot of his struggles are in those mid-range intermediate uh, throws. And so that's a big question for him as we're moving forward and why we are having this conversation. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the sophomore season. Uh, split time, him and McNamara split time uh, the first few games, I believe. Eventually, McCarthy won the starting job. So what did? how soon did you guys kind of feel that was the way they were going? And what did you see him improve on the most? to really seal the deal when it came to taking the starter, starting job? Well, Jim Harbaugh held a, held a two-game audition for the two quarterbacks, and uh, it was um, McNamara got the start in week one, and McCarthy got the start in week two. It became pretty apparent in week one that uh, McNamara was going to have to really do something in uh, when he got his kind of chance in week two uh, to kind of come in in garbage time to rectify because – after hearing all, uh, like, cause you have to keep in mind, JJ was in, you know, he was banged up. They thought it was going to need shoulder surgery okay. and, uh, turns out he just kind of rehabbed it. And so he missed all of spring ball and half the summer and came in at fall camp. And then McNamara really, uh, w- was just very precise and had the, you know, this is a guy that was the leading passer in, Nevada high school history mm-hmm. in terms of uh, in terms of throwing the ball. He's a team captain, and everything you heard coming out of fall camp is that he had that uh, rapport with his receivers, and it didn't really come to fruition in week one he, he, against Colorado State that year. He just looked very uncomfortable. It uh, looked like he was pressing, and then J.J. McCarthy comes in in the second half and goes four for four and just looked like he was in complete control of the offense. So at that point, it it was pretty clear it was probably going to be J.J.'s show as long as he didn't mess up the following week against Hawaii. And so he gets his first start in week two against Hawaii, and he's equally as precise and accurate, even though he had a lot more reps. So uh, and you know he hit a deep ball uh, pretty early to score the first touchdown uh, to Roman Wilson. So at that point, uh, Jim Harbaugh declared him the starter in the post-game press conference, and he never looked back. And uh, unfortunately for McNamara, he got injured the next week in garbage time because they were still planning on playing both of them, and it didn't uh, end up working out that way. And uh, McCarthy kind of just took it and ran with it. And you know that he only lo- he lost one game in college mm-hmm. as the starter, and it was that year in the college football playoff semifinal. But he, you could really see that he had matured from year one to year yeah. two where he was just kind of getting a couple gadget plays here and there. He did uh, have kind of a calamity in the Michigan State game uh, in 2021 when he came in to uh, uh, spell Caden McNamara, who suddenly was dealing with a shoulder injury, fumbled the football, gave it back to Michigan State, and that ended up being – it was a fumbled handoff to Blake Corum, and that ended up kind of being the deciding factor in that game. So he learned from those mistakes and uh, really was able to take control of the offense, super accurate, and uh, made really good decisions. And that kind of led to what ended up being a really, truly breakout year in year three mm-hmm. uh, in this past year when he suddenly didn't just have command of the offense, he had command of seeing what was across from him on the field as well. 
Yeah, and I think that when you look at the offense that – when you look at Michigan's offense from 2021 to 2022, statistically they improved in almost every category, statistical category you can name, and that's even when it comes down to yards per game and the, the you know scores per game and all of that. All of that, And I think that a lot of people directly correlated that to J.J. McCarthy. And as you just spoke on, his comfortability in that offense, how much of a factor do you think that that jump for the offense as a whole was related to McCarthy himself or was it uh, kind of all the weapons kind of started finding their place uh, in the offense as a whole? I, I would say it's a mixture between McCarthy. Obviously he was the one that everyone wanted to stop mm-hmm. and that opened up kind of a lot of opportunities for Blake Corum, who had the, the best, one of the best years a Michigan running back has ever had. Uh, and Donovan Edwards, who was his number two. So those three kind of played all together and certainly Michigan had games where they took the ball out of McCarthy's hands and put it fully into the run game. Penn state each of the last two years was just uh, a masterclass in running the football and which that type of mentality that Michigan's had has certainly kind of played into the national narrative of what McCarthy is capable of because he is capable of a lot, but there's that time there have been times where Michigan has said, all right, JJ, you're your team guy that actually speaks to who he is as a men, you know with his mentality that he didn't mind the fact that against Penn State each of the last two years and it really started there in 2022 where Penn State had the number one run defense in the country going into that game and then Michigan ran for 400 yards on him mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of surprising everyone thought it was going to be all about JJ and it didn't end up being so Michigan often did stuff like that because there were certain teams where they were like, we're going to be able to push them around with our offensive line. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep in mind, they won the Joe Moore award in 2021 and 2022. And, uh, and then they had the running backs that were able to take advantage. So it kind of was a week by week thing, kind of depending on what the game plan was as far as the offense, because uh, I do think that JJ had a big part of it, but I would say it's probably 50, 50, between him and then you give it the other side to the offensive line and Blake Corum having uh, maybe the best uh, running back that Michigan's had in its history, uh, being able to uh, go out there and kind of push the issue down the field uh, and just really be able to uh, to get those hard yards and become more of an every down back like he became starting in 2022. Yeah, he was really fun to watch this season. I, I do a segment here at 1010XL called uh, My Beard's Diamonds, Gym of the Week, where I kind of just pick a player in college football who had a great weekend. And I think that out of all the weeks, Blake Corum was somehow involved in my poll and like, 10 of the weeks <laughs> every weekend. I was like, okay, let's talk about Blake Quorum again. Um, le- this last year, Isaiah, national champions, obviously, so there's a lot of good things happening uh, offensively and defensively for the Wolverines. For the- um, but a lot of people say the defense is kind of what got them there and the defense is what won them that game. What is your response to people who say that and kind of knock J.J. McCarthy when it comes to that sense? Well, Michigan is kind of the quintessential team this past year, right? It was kind of all of the above. You have to keep in mind with a lot of these games, people looked at the first three games of the year, mm-hmm. and and they said, well, you know, they didn't really score a lot. I mean, the, you can even go in the, into the fourth game against Rutgers. You know, in the 30s, whereas, like, you're kind of used to seeing non-conference games where they're against a group of five opponents, and you see uh, – I'll go ahead and make a little rivalry knock real quick. It's like with Ohio State, <laughs> you know, you always know that Ohio State, when they play 
you know, the, the random group of five teams generally, it's the and final score is going to be something like, you know, 56 to, yeah. to nine or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Michigan didn't really feel like it needed to do that. And those games were, were over by halftime. So mm-hmm. the, the defense certainly helped, but offensively for the first really five, six weeks, JJ McCarthy was out of the game halfway through the uh, third uh, quarter. Okay. There might've, you know, he had a really bad game in week three against Bowling Green, his worst really in a Michigan uniform, but otherwise, I mean, the offense generally shut itself down because it could rely on its defense. It didn't need to do a lot more. It didn't need to prove a lot more. And uh, for the first three games about Jim Harbaugh, they, he always called the, the assistant coaches who were filling in as interim head coaches as guardians of victory. Mm-hmm. So, JJ was extremely precise in those first uh, two games in particular, and then kind of returned in week four. And what you saw, it was a really accurate quarterback uh, because ECU took the, the TCU game plan and said, we are going to sell out to stop the run. And I know that Michigan went into the, that week thinking we're going to have to rely on the run because the pass game, uh, JJ's fine, but the receivers don't necessarily look like they're up to par yet. And it just didn't felt like they were going to have to go in and run the ball. Uh, and East Carolina said, no, you're not running the ball against us. And that's when really quickly you saw JJ really take the team and put it into his hands, 280 yards. Mm-hmm. I think he only missed two passes in that game. Uh, and uh, again, that's only in basically one half of football. He only I think played one series in the second half mm-hmm. uh, after that. And he, he made some throws like to Cornelius Johnson, where he was, splitting defenders. He had the touchdown to Roman Wilson in the back of the end zone where he did the same thing. And uh, that kind of became the type of playmaking that we saw all year from JJ was, Hey, some of these receivers are covered. They're not getting open uh, in some of these pass situations. And yet JJ is making these perfect throws where only the receiver can go and get it. Uh, and uh, the offense, if you look at the advanced stats, was one of the top offenses in the country. It just didn't have it when it came to total yards and things like that because it really didn't need to. Uh, and then once you gotten out of those first four games, uh, the next several games, you look at uh, uh, Nebraska when they go on the road there and they win, uh, I believe it was 52-7. to seven. Then the following week at, at Minnesota, 56-13 to 13 or 52-13. to 13. And Indiana, kind of similar score, 49 to nothing against uh, Michigan State the following week. And uh, really with that Michigan State game, you saw J.J. McCarthy on full display. Uh, they they were not running the ball particularly effectively. They were getting a long, you know, third and long situations. Just kept converting third downs and throwing into double coverage. Uh, he split the defenders and threw a questionable pass that went right by the linebacker's head and right into, uh, r- right into the arms of uh, waiting Colston Loveland going into mm-hmm. the end zone. Uh, he he was started to make throws that just were NFL caliber throws, the yeah. types of throws that you generally don't see college guys make. The offense, really, he had full command of it, and the run game had taken a big step back. It eventually kind of got its mojo by the last couple weeks of the season, but it, it really was J.J. McCarthy that was able to take the offense to the next level. And then once they felt like they reached a, a good enough kind of point differential, they called off the dogs, you know, said, let's see what Jack Tuttle and some of the backups can do and uh, kind of went from there. But the offense might not have put up as many, uh, many yards. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it certainly put up as many points, 
but they made the most of it. And I think J.J. McCarthy was the big driver of that in 2023. Now, Isaiah, before we move on to a couple of the other uh, guys that I want to talk to from Michigan this last season, what are your expectations for him at the next level? Do you think he could go somewhere and be able to start immediately? Do you think it'd be better for him to sit beside, behind someone for a little bit? What type of offense do you think he would fit best when it comes to the NFL? I, I, I think really, I mean, I think with any uh, quarterback, it's generally a good idea to uh, let them get a year of experience mm-hmm. going in the NFL. But I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't think that he would necessarily completely struggle if he was asked to start right away. I, I think he's a lot more talented than people think he is. Uh, he, he can make every single throw. He's accurate, generally makes good decisions. He, he did have some off games uh, last year. Uh, the, one of the two off games was the one against Maryland where he was so injured uh, that he didn't practice all week it was a game time decision and still came in and played. So like he's got he's got a leadership capability. So I would not be surprised if a team drafted him and he was able to start right away. And I think he's going to be a lot better than people think, especially if he gets into an offense that is pass oriented, right? Like yes, he was in a run happy offense, mm-hmm. but I think if he would have played in, you know, and and maybe not an air raid. I mean, he could have certainly played well in an air raid. Michigan's you know, look at Alan Bowman, who came from Oklahoma State, was a backup at Michigan for two years, did nothing, and then goes and plays at, or sorry, it was at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and then came to Michigan, then goes to Oklahoma State, put up huge numbers at both Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, uh, and didn't do nearly as much when called upon in a pro-style run-heavy offense. Yeah. So, J.J., I think if, if he's in a right, the right system and has receivers, because uh, he can, he can certainly be on the money. You know, mm-hmm. he, he can, he can make those, he can make those uh, really tough throws. Uh, like I said earlier, splitting defenders and things of that nature. So, yeah. I, I do think that he could be a guy that could play early, start early. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think it's probably better for pretty much any quarterback to at least get a year to kind of acclimate to the speed of the pro game before they get that opportunity. Don't ruin their confidence. Mm-hmm. And obviously he thrived with that same type of, uh, uh, system for his development at Michigan sitting essentially for a year coming in, uh, and making, uh, you know, five plays a game. And then once he finally got called upon then for the starting job, then he really thrived. But, uh, I really wouldn't be surprised if, like, Jim Harbaugh said he thinks that he'll end up being the first quarterback taken. Yeah. I know that that shocks a lot of people, but you're <laughs> seeing suddenly, like, all of these draft people are looking at his tape and saying, you oh. know what, he might be on to something. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen it a ton uh, the last few weeks, Isaiah. I mean, I feel like I didn't see much of McCarthy at all. And all of a sudden, the last two, three weeks, I guess especially since uh, Jim Harbaugh made the comment, but they've seen a a lot of people, I guess, kind of shifted to watching his film. And the comments are like, okay, I'm actually more impressed with J.J. McCarthy than I thought I was going to be. Uh, pre-watching his film. So it it will definitely be interesting to see where he goes. I want to jump to some of these other few uh, guys before I let you go. So uh, let's chat about the highest-ranked Wolverine on a lot of people's draft boards, which is uh, defensive lineman Chris Jenkins. We talked a lot about how, or we talked a little bit about how dominant the Michigan defense was this year. He's a versatile guy, a big guy. Um, Tell us a little bit about where Chris fit in there and where do you believe he played best and could play best at the next level? Well, they call him the mutant. He's uh, he does not look like he's 
like 310, 315-ish pounds, very svelte looking, uh, played in the interior, of course, uh, for Michigan, uh, but uh, also struggled with an injury pretty much for the entirety of the year, which allowed for a lot of other players to really shine this particular year, but he was certainly more kind of pivotal in 2022 than 2023 uh, when he, uh, everyone kind of thought it was going to be the Mozzie Smith show and it was Chris Jenkins that was getting pressure from, excuse me, from the interior defense. Uh, I think he's got the kind of body type where in the NFL, uh, because he does have speed and and the ability to rush the passer. I would not be surprised to see him kind of utilized all over the the defensive front, especially Mm -hmm. like a three, four, where, you know, someone, you know, Michigan ran kind of a three, four and usually kept them inside, but sometimes when they'd move them outside and uh, I would not be surprised to see, you know, even at the NFL, I mean, I even think he could be an outside linebacker type because okay. certainly you see people like Rashawn Gary, who wasn't, you know, he was an edge rusher at Michigan, yeah. but does play the outside linebacker position for the Packers. Uh, I really wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Chris Jenkins even end up in that role. Uh, just because he's uh, he's got that capability and he he's he's got relentless pursuit. Another team captain, so he's a locker room guy for sure. And uh, he 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 does a lot to uh, disrupt what offensive linemen are trying to do. Gets them off their spot and uh, can, can certainly create pressure. Uh, like I've said, like four times from the interior because that's kind of mm-hmm. what he was able to do. Yeah, uh, took out a lot of double teams this year, even uh, despite his injury. And then, you know, when the injury started to hamper him more, that's when we started to see more Mason Graham and uh, Kenneth Grant. But Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nonetheless, he's a freakish athlete and he can kind of do a little bit of everything. So I think that I, I would be surprised to see him fall anywhere outside of that second round because he, he, NFL teams have to be watching his tape and salivating at his potential. <laughs> what uh, For Michigan's defense this last season, was there a – were they better at one thing when it comes to stopping the run and creating pressure, or were they did they excel at both and that's why they were able to be so good up front? They were able to excel at both, and this was the first year that it, in in a couple where they were able to kind of do both. Well, they were able to do so uh, in 2021, but that was more of the uh, external pressure that allowed them to uh, allowed them to get to the quarterback. But they've they've long had a really and Chris Jenkins was part of that was really good at creating that run wall and uh, really stopping the run. This was the first year that I can recall in a long time where 
they were able to consistently get interior pressure uh, on top of having the run wall. Because that's when, when Jenkins first started really getting his, his uh, bona fides at the college level was because he was such an elite run stopper. Uh, but then you, you started to see him kind of break out with the pass rush, and then they really put an onus on that, and it really came to fruition this last year. But, uh, uh, again, complimentary football. I mean, mm-hmm. this defense was able to do pretty much everything at every level, right? There was no weak point that you could really point to. The, the closest to it was Josh Wallace, who still has an NFL combine invite, right? That was what teams tried to go after was they either try to have misdirection uh, in the run game, Minnesota was able to do that a little bit, uh, a lot of counters and pins and pulls and uh, making uh, making the run kind of go to directions that you didn't expect it to go. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I mean, really all three levels were just absolutely solid for the Michigan defense for all of the, all of the uh, accolades that the Michigan defense has gotten for literally decades. This mm-hmm. was probably the best defense that it has ever had. And that includes the national championship team from 1997, which leaned fully on that defense with Charles Woodson, Glenn Steele, and those guys. So uh, that tells you a lot of a few names people may know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about wide receivers. You mentioned this name a few times earlier when we were talking about JJ McCarthy. The receiver group in this draft is very talented. There's tons of names you could look at. Roman Wilson um, is who I'm talking about here. PFF has him ranked 73rd on their big board and around the 13th, 14th receiver. Um, but what type of receiver is Wilson? Like, what would you categorize him as the the deep type receiver, slot receiver? Where exactly does he fit in on the football field? Well, he, he played outside mostly for Michigan. Uh, certainly he has the body type where you could put him inside, uh, but they tended to keep him outside. He's your speed option, right? And uh, that's certainly how they used him. And while it didn't seem, even with the speed, that he was necessarily uh, breaking away and and getting open, wildly open every single play, he was at the outset of his career. And then it seemed that uh, he got some safety help here and there. But his hands really became a big factor. You saw that in uh, from week one against East Carolina with that uh, one touchdown I mentioned, where he was able to jump above two defenders to snag the ball. Nebraska is probably the big one where he pinned the football to the back of a Nebraska defender's helmet to come down with a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the top play that you could, you know, you probably saw a year yeah. didn't get as much accolades because it was Nebraska, <laughs> but still it was, it to me was the most impressive uh, catch that I saw all season. Um, and then he's also just a guy that makes big plays in big moments. Uh, you look at the Alabama game and, and he had a couple uh, opportunities going and snagging the ball out of the air on the final uh, drive of regulation, the subsequent touchdown. Uh, he, he's got a little bit of everything, but, but his, with his size and his speed, uh, I really feel like at the NFL level, he's probably going to end up being more of an inside receiver. Okay. Uh, he's, he's six foot, about 190 pounds, uh, but he, he is an absolute burner. And you started to kind of see that uh, not only in season, but you saw it in the senior bowl practices. Uh, I don't believe he played in the actual game, but uh, those first two practices, he was being talked about just as much, if not more than Lad McConkey from Georgia and was making very similar plays Had the one handed snag. Uh, I think that uh, that play though signified one of the issues that he's had, which is occasional route running. Like he stumbles here and there. And that's the, on that very play, while he did come down with it, he stumbled. 
So uh, that uh, that's probably the one thing that he needs to work on is kind of keeping his balance and uh, and making sure his footwork is is spot on. Uh, whereas counterpart Cornelius Johnson has kind of the opposite problem, where his he's really really good at route running. He's kind of a technician as far as that's concerned, but then doesn't always have the hands. Make some weirdly it feels like with Cornelius he would come down with some of the the key tough catches when Michigan absolutely needed it, getting the, you know, converting on third downs, but then uh, at other times it seemed like a lot of balls hit him in the hands and he wouldn't come down with it. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny how those two receivers that it, they have each other, you know, where one's strong, the other's weak or one's weak, the other's strong. So that's kind of how the, that duo tended to work. Yeah. And that's another, like I said, this wide receiver group is going to be, I feel like in three, four years, we're going to be looking back and being like, man, look, look at all of these receivers that came out of the 2024 class because, or 2023, I guess, 2024 draft, because there's just one after another. And every time I watch any film or talk about the next receiver, there's one that I just get just as excited about as the one previous. Um, Isaiah, one guy that I'm specifically looking at because it's a position that the Bears um, need very badly, and that is guard Zach Zinter. Zinter. Uh, Bears need both a guard and a center. I I believe he played majority, if not all, right guard at Michigan. Um, But does So a couple questions for you. Does he have versatility on that line, and where do you think he does play best when it comes to uh, his position on that line? Uh, I do believe that he, w- I, I don't know that we've seen it, uh, seen him really play anywhere other than right guard. Okay. Uh, I, maybe in 2020, his freshman year, he might've come in and played center for, or I, I can't remember. It kind of feels like that rings a bell. I don't know. I think we, everybody, myself included, checked out uh, by the end of the tw- <laughs> abysmal 2020 year for Michigan. I just remember sitting up in the press box, which I normally don't do and just be like, oh, Zinner's in. Okay. Um <laughs> But uh, a, Michigan does cross-train uh, all of its offensive linemen to kind of play all over the line now. Okay. Uh, guys like he and Trevor Keegan have always kind of stayed put at guard. Uh, but uh, you've seen other guys kind of move around as chess pieces when they've needed to. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he did have some center in his uh, repertoire from practice. But we did not really see it in games. But, I mean, he was – easily Michigan's best offensive lineman. I know it seems kind of weird because I, the right side of the line, I think played a little bit better after he went out um, just because I think Carson Barnhart was uh, a little bit of a liability at right tackle. Uh, and then once they were able to move him inside, uh, they were just a little bit stronger at, at right tackle with mm-hmm. uh, Trent Jones in there. But um, really out of everybody, I mean, I think Trevor Keegan gets overlooked, but Zach center, was the heartbeat of the team. And then I think that the, the, again, the team captain aspect as well, can't be underrated. And, yeah. and when he went down with his broken leg against Ohio state, I mean, you note that the literal next play Blake Corum scored the scored a 20 plus yard touchdown and immediately went found the camera and flashed his number. Mm. Uh, his number six, five, right into the camera. Uh, it's that just tells you how important he is to the team uh, and especially from a team chemistry standpoint, but uh, I mean, as far as the ability to be an absolute road grader and a mauler, I mean, even when Michigan's line, which you know, like, like I said earlier, won the Joe Moore award two straight years, that's not saying that they didn't have their issues here and there. And when they did, they knew that they could trust 
65 to be able to kind of lead them through those moments. And uh, they, they could run off him. You know, he, he just did not make mistakes. He was just su- such an absolute monster for Michigan and uh, really developed nicely for a former three-star out of New England to, to really just kind of thrive and really set the tone for that offensive line. I feel like he's, he's going to be one of those guys that you look at 15 years down the line and say, I cannot believe he is still playing in the NFL, Mm -hmm. assuming he stays healthy, of course, because you can never predict that, but, uh, and it's going to take him a little time to still like, you know, get back into the swing of things. I mean, he broke both his tibia and fibula. So um, it's a, it's a, that's a pretty hard break. Um, But uh, I mean, at the same time, he was walking without crutches, like at the Rose bowl. Yeah. You know, like this happened a little over a month. And he's he's walking without any assistance, uh, you know, a month later. I mean, I I, I know I couldn't do that. At no, my definitely kids. not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I broke I, I broke my foot and I was out of commission for like four months. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, he he was ready to go. So uh, I I think that uh, he's going to be an absolute stud at the next level, assuming he's able to stay healthy. And I mean, he stayed healthy for majority of his Michigan career so yeah. I have no doubt that he'll he'll be able to do so at the next level as well I, li- I like uh, conveniently I don't know if this is the universe telling us something but the just yesterday the Bears cut their center longtime center Cody Whitehair who also wore number 65 so we have the number 65 open uh, in Chicago for Zach if uh, that ends up coming uh, if he ends up coming to Chicago but uh, so let me ask you one more before I Uh, before we move on from him, because one of the things that I love that you get a little extra out of certain offensive linemen, and this is one thing that I notice and love uh, for one of the Bears linemen, Tevin Jenkins, uh, the reason I just feel like he has that extra umph. He gets he's first one to defend Justin Fields if he gets hit late. He has that just like a little bit extra fire and not all offensive linemen have that. Is that something that you would say Zach has? Yeah, I would say he and Trevor Keegan. They, I mean, those two guys, uh, they're best friends. Uh, they do everything together, uh, and uh, they, they're roommates as well. They both have a very similar mentality, and yeah, they're they're both those guys that get right into other teams' faces right when you know adversity hits. If they you know they start getting lippy and all that kind of stuff. So yes, I would say that. Uh, I, I can't just single out one in that. I kind of they kind of come as a package deal mm-hmm. with that. So if 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 you're the Bears and you're going to take one, you got to take, take the other. Both. That's just how it works. No, but, are, uh, yeah. They, sorry, they're both, they both in this draft. Them. Yes, they're both in this draft. Oh, okay, all right. So that and then so that is the uh, right guard, obviously, with Zach. And then what does what other position? And, and Keegan, which is the other team captain, he's a he's the left guard. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting with that one because the Bears do have uh, both tackles are taken care of. Tevin Jenkins, like I said, is probably our best lineman and most Bears fans' favorite, and he's the left guard. But uh, we'll see what we can do in that interior if we have to take if we uh, need to take that package deal. Uh, final one for you because well, I feel like well, I, oh, I before before you move on, I got to say, I yeah. mean, it, I think Keegan would be heartbroken if Zach gets to go to the Bears <laughs> because Keegan's the Chicago guy. Oh, okay. It is all family or Chicago people. I hung out with his family at the, before the big 10 championship game the night before. And they, they, it was as someone from the Detroit area. I've never met more Chicago people in my life. It was like <laughs> the, 
some of the family friends, one of the family friends, one of the first things he asked me is like, did you see the Hawks game last night? And I'm like, why would I have seen You're like, I definitely did not. <laughs> like, I, I have no idea why you think I would have seen that. So that is hilarious, too. And honestly, uh, because one thing, Ryan Poles, uh, the Bears GM, is also, he's from Chicago. He loves his guys from the area. Um this offseason, we kind of – it's a joke now to where – that's why we kind of even joke because J.J. McCarthy, there's a picture that went viral of him and Bear stuff when he was little. And I everyone was like, oh, well, the Bears are going to take J.J. McCarthy because Ryan Poles loves his lo- local guys. And so it would honestly be very fitting if if Keegan is somebody that Ryan Poles has his eyes on because he definitely loves, uh, loves the local ties. And we saw him go snag T.J. Edwards this last season who's from the area. Uh, Cole Komet gave him a contract from the area. It was just like one guy after another where it was, it was just kind of funny how it played out um yeah okay. i mean that, that, just jj and and keegan i, I sometimes forget about jj mm-hmm. being from there because he had transferred to img academy but uh yeah i mean it's to me with especially with jj because it's like he, he's such a little jim harbaugh you know and we're you know i know jim's from essentially ann arbor but uh, you know, to, for for him to potentially follow in his mentor's footsteps and go to the Bears, I mean, that seems pretty real. But Keegan is just straight up like I, JJ kind of feels more like he's from, you know, like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a little bit of a hippie, <laughs> and you kind of see that kind of coming through with the barefoot stuff, the med- meditation, uh, the the promotions for the new Bob Marley movie. You know, the yoga stuff like yeah. does not necessarily feel like the uh, the quintessential Chicago guy, but Keegan, yeah, he's he's straight up Chicago, and he's he's my favorite guy on the team from it. this last year, and just because he's got all of the characteristics, he's like straight out of the SNL sketch. <laughs> I love it. That is fantastic. I feel like I need to go watch some like interviews and stuff now. Um, okay, Isaiah, final one for you because I feel like this was a, a big talking point for uh, the Bears fans were kind of split. Um, several, a, a good portion that wanted to get rid of uh, Matt Eberflus this last season and they were very aggressively wanting Jim Harbaugh to come to Chicago. Obviously that didn't happen, but what are your thoughts about Harbaugh at the next level? Do you think, I mean, obviously he's been there but do you think this round two will be a success for him in the NFL and how are you guys feeling losing him at Michigan I mean yeah I mean he's, he goes into the NFL with the highest winning percentage of uh in the NFL with many active NFL head coaches which uh tells you a lot I mean he also it took a little bit longer I think than what he thought it was going to take at Michigan to get it to where he got it but at the same time I mean he in the NFL, there's a lot more parity than there is in college. And Ohio State just, you know, was on a roll for so long, you know. But he he took over a five and seven Michigan team, and the very next year they were ten and three, and then they were ten and three again, and then they were nine and four, and you know, like they just they weren't necessarily the kings of the mountain uh, until those last few years. But he was able to kind of reevaluate you know what he needed to do and completely changed course when things started falling apart. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think that I'm curious to see. I think he'll certainly do well in the uh, – at least in the early going. But, I'm, I'm, you know, I think when you hear a lot of the he rubs people the wrong way thing, I mean, I think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he, he's a dude who dances to his own drummer. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the jokes coming out of Sharon Moore's press conference is, like, he didn't even say anything about, about, like, sharks with laser beams or anything really weird in his – 
press conference, right? Because we became accustomed to just really bizarre behavior from Jim Harbaugh, you know, just constantly saying really weird things. Um, And uh, so I'm curious to see, you know, after the first like two years, if, you know, if he starts seeing some similar issues as to what he saw in San Francisco, but I have no doubt that Jim's going to win. I'd see a lot of people saying things about, oh, he shouldn't have gone to the AFC West. I mean, they've got the Chiefs and all of that. Well, you know, there's probably, granted, it took, you know, a long time before he was able to beat Ohio State at Michigan, but there's probably a lot of people who uh, looked at him taking the Michigan job as probably shouldn't have gone to a place that has Penn State and Ohio State, yeah. you know, in the same division. And I think Jim kind of thrives know, off that a little bit. Like, he wants the he wants the challenge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it'll be interesting as far as Sherelle Moore. I mean, certainly no one wanted to lose Jim, uh, but, you know, you have Michigan had him for nine years. No one really thought that that was going to happen. You mm-hmm. know, everyone said, you know, when he got hired in 2015, enjoy your rental because he's going to be off to the NFL first opportunity he gets. Yeah. And the rumors started literally after the first year. And he had to face them every year. And then once he finally had gotten them to the point where he wasn't being rumored to going to the NFL, then he started pursuing those jobs on his own. So uh, it's certainly a changing of the guard, but you know, he Michigan's typically a place that's like to hire from within. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of trained Sharon more for this opportunity. Sharon Moore also had the opportunity to be the head coach for four games and, play against uh, Penn State and Ohio State and get wins in those games. And and uh, I think the bigger challenge for him is that Jim Harbaugh took a lot of the staff he wanted to keep in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think down the line, I think with, with what Jim Harbaugh talked about with it being Michigan West out in Los Angeles, uh, Michigan's going to really be hoping in some, to some degree that uh, he has success out there and that – uh, Michigan can do kind of with him what he was able to do in the last three years with his brother of saying like, Hey, I need, you know, I, I need a defensive coordinator. And, and John Harbaugh was able to say, Hey, take this linebackers coach I had. Oh, okay. Now John just took him back as the defensive coordinator for the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, you got anyone else? Well, we had a defensive backs coach who uh, left to go to Vanderbilt. He could absolutely come and coordinate your defense. I know that Sharon Moore is going to be hoping that he can lean on Jim Harbaugh that same way. Obviously, it's going to require having success at that next level for that to work. Uh, but um, I, you know, I think that Sharon, it, it's going to be interesting, and it's hard to really say what he's going to be as a first-year head coach. But uh, he, it was weird that he does not get the same kind of uh, love as, say, a Marcus Freeman or a Ryan Day, yeah. who are in very similar situations. Um, and uh, but I think he's. I think that the fact that he comes from an offensive line background, coached the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line for two straight years, uh, had that sole offensive coordinator and uh, offensive line coach. Uh, role this past year was able to juggle being a on-field head coach and all those roles at once i mean if you want to build a team like michigan a program like michigan it's probably better that you have a guy that can build from the inside out yeah so i think that that's going to be really good but you know fans right now uh they're a little little worried they're they're a little uneasy (laughs) yeah right because haven't been able to pin down everything it just kind of feels like you know Last week it was, uh, all right, this uh, Steve Klink scale is going to remain in Ann Arbor for as the defensive backs coach. And, yeah. 
And then before you know it, nope, he's gone. And then they hire his replacement, Steven Adagoke, and he agrees. And then he, uh, then the Houston Texans uh, up the ante and keep him. Mm-hmm. So it's just been like a, a constant battle just to fill out his staff. So I think once everything's kind of settled and people get to see what it's like in the spring, I think that maybe that'll that'll ease some tension. But yeah. uh, at the moment, it's, it's little a, a little uneasy. <laughs> Do you yeah. think Jim would have stayed if you guys didn't win the national championship? Uh, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. But I think that with the uh, the two NCAA investigations – I think that, that is true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because, and I think that without those, I mean, I think he would have already signed an extension. Okay. Right? You know, Michigan, Michigan wanted to kind of protect itself, right, just in case. And there, there's a lot of people that think it's admitting guilt. I, I don't think that's the case at all. But like Michigan, you know, didn't really want to grant him this like immunity. Yeah. That he wanted in his contract because they don't know what the NCAA is going to do. Right? They can they can look at the evidence themselves and deem themselves innocent. That doesn't mean the NCAA is going to do the same thing. They certainly thought that they, that he, you know, were innocent when the big 10 came down with a three game suspension, but they don't want they don't really want to take a chance necessarily to, uh, you know, in case the, the NCAA said, you know what, we're going to give you a two year show cause. And then they're just out, you know, $24 million. So that kind of held things up. And I think that uh, that opened the door for the NFL to get back involved in, in yeah. everything. I think that played the bigger deal than the national championship is certainly winning a national championship does create things where you look at it and he says, I okay, did my job. I accomplished them. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Isaiah, for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. A ton learned here and I hope you have a good weekend. Thanks. You Thanks. too. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much to Isaiah Hole. That was fantastic. Um, learned a ton there. Uh, J.J. McCarthy has been just steadily getting more and more attention recently, so figured it was time to talk about that. And obviously, um, a couple names that we could be possibly looking at in Chicago. Now that we know about Keegan, I need to look a little more into that. But um, cool thoughts on Jim Harbaugh, too. Uh, we will continue on uh, this. I think I have one more episode of this series. I'm debating on that or if I'm just going to do a kind of wrap up. But I do have a big podcast coming out on Monday um, uh, with former Bears coach John Filippo. Obviously, if you guys remember him, he was here uh, 2020 and 2021. So he was here uh, Justin Fields' rookie season, which recently we just heard some kind of crazy stuff about uh, Justin Fields and uh, Andy Dalton and Nick Foles and how the relationship was in Chicago. So I really wanted to dive into that a little bit. So that will be coming out early next week. And then I'll probably have one more draft um, kind of preview before we get to the combine and then free agency. So again, thanks everybody for listening. I am Taylor Dahl, and this is Making Monsters.